Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. And welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast, episode 21. I am your, or one half of your humble and gracious host and clinician here for your listening pleasures, Dr. Kyle Osborne. And I appreciate everybody here watching and listening. And of course, I am never, ever here on this special occasion, on this special episode. I'm never here by myself. So you know who I'm here with. This guy, um, he's sicker than your average, you know, and they just love his flashy ways. Guess that's <laughs> why they broke and he's so paid. And if you don't know, now you know. I'm talking about Dr. Jason. How are you, sir? I'm good, my man. How you doing, man? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Good, good. Everything uh, doing well with you? Everything is good. You know, I can't complain. Um, you know, it was a hot one out here. Um, so, you know, just trying to, trying to stay cool today, but you know, we, we definitely got a, a special guest joining us today. Um, so I'm gonna let you go ahead and introduce her, absolutely. even though she need she need no introduction. Ab- absolutely. She doesn't, but she's going to get one anyway. Okay. Now this, this individual, this magnificent woman. Okay. But she sped off in the Benzy. She sees <laughs> the envy when she's causing a frenzy, the queen of positivity herself. Dr. Ashley Poole. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me again on another episode. I'm really excited. It's, you know, been a great week so far. We were off yesterday. And so, you know, today was like my Monday and what, a couple more days to go. So, yeah. Yeah, give it up for the short week. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You made me seem like I'm the number one stunner, boy. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't need no more production oh. in this. <laughs> I'm just making observation. You are who you are. This no, is, we, you know, this we, is great. We, we, um, <laughs> we know Dr. Poole, you know, she drives in big boy toys, you know. <laughs> so, I, you know. I said it was appropriate that I had to put the Benji in the, in the intro. <laughs> Yeah, man. We trying to catch up. So I I, I stepped my game up. Somebody, did you all know I was in a car accident? So someone rear-ended me on my way to work, totaled my car. I love my Honda. It was paid off. It was good to me. But, you know, my mom was like, it's time for an SUV. And I started looking. I looked at all, you know, I looked at the X5, the BMW. I looked at the, I think it was like the Q5 or something. And the Mercedes just, you know, it said something. It said Dr. Poole. There you he go. Me like That's what that. it sounds like. I mean, listen. There you go. It, it fits you, you know. Very, very deserving of it. You work hard. You save lives. So, listen, this is uh, this is what you worked hard for. So, if anybody should have it, it should be you. Appreciate you, brothers. All right. <laughs> so, we appreciate you being here, Dr. Poole. And uh, without further ado, we're going to get into it. So for the past two or three episodes, we've had the pleasure of some of our listeners and our, our watchers, our subscribers, uh, sending in questions um, that they want feedback and they want some input and insight into. Uh, so uh, continuing 
in that lane, we have actually someone that reached out to us via our uh, uh, Facebook group that we're a part of. So this is the Clinicians of Color and Private Practice Facebook group. And um, I was sent a message from uh, Nikki Jam. All right. So I hope Nikki isn't too upset that I'm uh, putting her name out there. But, you know, I want to give credit when due. So she reached out to me uh, a few days ago and um, she mentioned or she asked, does anyone have any book recommendations or navigating the workplace as a person of color? I have a client requesting this or podcast, and they've been struggling with microaggressions from white management slash coworkers. And so Nikki hit me up. What was like, Kyle, you cover this yet? And I'm like, no, nah, but, but we will. So, uh, <laughs> and here it is. So I appreciate Nikki forwarding that question um, that was posted up there on, on um, in that Facebook group. So, um, so just kind of give a little background for people that aren't familiar with microaggression is. So, even though and despite the increasing, you know, diversification of the workplace and any type of gains that in the workplace since the civil rights laws have made segregation and discrimination illegal, um, racism is still unfortunately a critical factor in explaining the underrepresentation of people of color in, in the workplace. And so now modern racism is different than what it used to be years ago, right? So, you know, modern racism is more likely to be expressed on a covert level. It's indirect. It's more ambiguous. It's, uh, it's, and that when racism is in that manner, it's really difficult for, um, and challenging for, you know, for it to be identified or acknowledged in the workplace. And so, you know, there are so many different types of microaggressions. So you can have the microaggressions where, um, you're referring to like the environment. So the workplace could be suffering from a lack of representation from the people of color or, you know, people of color are treated or tracked or positioned in certain job titles or positions. Right. So that could be an example of of environmental work uh, or microaggression where you can have the situation where people are receiving messages um, or expectations about their overall incompetence or their intelligence from coworkers or from management. Or it could be a microaggression situation where you're excluded, where so, you know, you're excluded from social gatherings, you're excluded from uh, work meetings, you're excluded from all these other different things. And you're not afforded the same opportunities or work opportunities or advancement that um, your colleagues are involved in or or open to them. So, um, so yeah, so that's just kind of a little background or history of what microaggression can look like uh, for those people that aren't familiar with it. So um, starting with you ladies first, Dr. Poole, what's your take on this and what can be helpful and uh, just, just go in. So I'm glad that you started off with the definition um, just to make sure everyone's kind of on the same page. And I do think that the challenge that um, comes about is, you know, like, how do you prove that it's really happening to, you know, in order to like problem solve it? Because um, when we think about like goal setting, it's really challenging to set a goal for someone else. So it's difficult to set a goal for your coworkers or your supervisors. Um, the only goal you can set is really for yourself. So I would say just on a personal level, um, I probably would seek like therapeutic support, first of all, because I mean, if I'm not, if, if leaving a job isn't an option, then I have to figure out how I'm going to survive this position 
um, first off, like kind of like taking care of myself. So I would, you know, encourage anyone to first kind of like take care of themselves because if you are going into an environment in which these um, microaggressions are happening and creating discomfort, you know, that can impact, you know, your performance. So first I would, you know, first kind of like look at coping strategies to make the job continually doable. And then I would probably like reflect on ways that I can um, educate my employers on things. Um, if talking to the employer or whoever is, you know, displaying this behavior isn't, you know, an option. I know specifically where I'm training at now, they have CBTs of what they call them in which they discuss like what microaggressions are. And so, you know, if I were to bring it up like phase two after I'm coping and bringing it up so that I'm not so emotional and I'm more problem solving oriented, I likely would just provide the definition like you did and provide some examples and say, like, I've been in environments where this has happened um, and, you know, kind of bring it to the forefront that, that way. But it, it's, it's, it's definitely super challenging because I do wonder you all's thoughts on the subjectivity of like microaggressions. Like I'm, I'm just thinking of different examples now, just more specifically related to like hair, you know, and comments made about hair. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's kind of like the step one and step two that I would do just thinking off the rip like that. What you got, Jack? The first thing I would, I would say is um, there's no right or wrong answer in terms of how you respond because that's going to depend on the work environment, who you're working on, or, I mean, who you're working with, whether you feel like you're going to be supported, you know, whether you feel like whatever you're going to do is going to ultimately make a difference or make your work experience even more difficult, right? Um, and you got to consider all of those things, especially depending on what you have on the line, right? Um, and I don't want to draw a conclusion between every, everything, but it depends on what kind of position you're in. If you are an intern and somebody is holding your hours in their hand, you might have a different response, you know, than if you are, you know, working with somebody in a different, you know, um, capacity. If you're employed by them on a construction site or in a retail setting or something like that. So you got to consider your your work environment. Right. Um, the second thing kind of talking about like higher education and those type of environments I think it's important to find like a mentor or, or somebody, even if it's not in your own like building in your field who might have been through those things, right? To help you process the experience. So number one, how you feel is how you feel. But number one, so that you're identifying it as the right thing and you're not mislabeling it, you know? Um, and two, just to maybe get some strategies of how they dealt with those things, right? Because I know the majority of the microaggressions I've dealt with, you know, there have been people who've been in my place who've dealt with them as well, right? Um, and a lot of times when I've, when I've seeked that counseling or um, advice from people who have been there before, you know, especially in that system or wherever you're working it, you know, I've gotten good advice as to how to navigate it, you know? And if we're being perfectly honest, you know, sometimes the decision may be to attack it straight on and go through the channels. And some, sometimes they may be like, well, I got a month, a month left. I'm out of here. You understand? Depends on what you have on the line. If we're really being honest. Yeah. I'm going to echo, um, 
what you said, Jay, as far as like that supportive network, right? So whether it would be uh, a mentor or even just with other coworkers or colleagues, I feel like having that supportive network and that sense of community um, is really important. One, just to make sure and confirm that you're not the only person going through this. So I think that's important in saying, hey, you know what, is it just me thing or does it seem like, you know, getting that, you know, um, that community aspect of say, hey, are you going through this also? Have you experienced this? And then also there's strength in numbers. So if it is a situation, like you said, Jay, if you want to attack, you know, head on, it's a lot more credence and validity if you're if it's a whole bunch of people. Right. Where, like you said, if it's an intern cohort where you're saying, hey, you know what, we're going through this, this is things that we've experienced as opposed to, say, just an individual. Because, again, when you're dealing with um, this type of aggression, it can be very challenging. Uh, you know, something else is um, documentation. And again, we I said earlier how difficult it can be to try to, you know, try to get this down in black and white or jotting some down as far as because it's covert, you know, it's ambiguous, but as much as possible is trying to document when different occurrences are taking place or when these experiences. So say if you do want to take it to the HR level, you do want to take it to, you know, another hierarchy of command, you have your evidence, you have your file, you have your portfolio, you have, you know, experiences that you can refer to. And also definitely this is an even better time to like really ramp up that self-care. So if you're a religious or a spiritual person, this is something you absolutely want to start to hone in on. If you, you know, all these are different things that, you know, exercise, music, all these other different things. This is, I think, something you really want to put forth and add to like your regimen and your daily activities is having your self-care and plan because you're going into a hostile environment. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it's like going into a situation where you have to be perfect. You can't make any mistakes. You're in this, you know, again, a very hostile and uncomfortable environment. And if you don't have the luxury of saying, Hey, I'm only going to be here for a couple more months or there's an end in sight, you're going to be, at least for the time being, it's going to be really important that you take care of yourself through this in addition to the sense of community and and all those different things we just mentioned. So um, absolutely, definitely a part of what you mentioned, Jeff. Right. I I was just going to add one other thing is um, I think like when, when talking to community, it could be helpful to maybe like reflect on a person's intent. So like I had just kind of looked up something real quick. Um, I taught diversity, uh, in the spring, um, you know, to a doctoral level cohort, and it just she's showing off. Me. She's yeah. showing off. You saw that. You saw that plug. You saw. You saw the plug in there. No, no, I'm just listen. She slipped out with it there. Yeah, I heard it. I was like, you know, you know, what you know. That's what you know. As psychologists, that's what you know. Separate. You gotta, you know, like y'all started with the definition. You know, y'all set the pace for me, y'all. You know, y'all my mentors. And you know, I'm playing. We proud. We proud of you. I'm just playing. Right. Wear it. I looked at where it mentions like um, the example of like, so it talked about like things like recognizing microaggressions and the messages they send. So one thing was, you know, colorblindness. And it just spoke to like statements to indicate that, you know, this specifically says that a white person does not want to or need to acknowledge race. And so the microaggression example would be, you know, um, when I look at you, I don't see color. And so I think that it's, you know, looking at intent, like when a person shared that with you, what was their, you know, intent? Because some people really are attempting to, 
you know, like problem solve or build rapport, but that's just a poor, a poor approach to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I've seen even where like I had to kind of intervene where um, there was an individual I was working with and they, another member of the team had said a statement like, you know, and, you know, such and such, and I'm not even as big as you. And the person was attempting to connect to say, like, you know, we're in this together. We both like I have to have some health stuff, you know, going on, too. And so I can imagine because I'm not even as big as you now. The person that it was said to was very offended. But like after we kind of processed it, um, we kind of looked at and, and, and she was able to recognize that the other team member didn't intend to be offensive. But sometimes, you know, when we think and we speak and we don't reflect on how it comes across, it can be harmful. So in that case, like if someone said that I may feel more inclined to like approaching them because, um, and just stating more I statements, you know what I'm saying? Like, so stating like, you know, I I felt sad when you said that because, um, I view that as, you know, it could be a microaggression because it, it, it is viewed that way. So, I mean, cause I'm thinking if I said something wrong, I would, you know, we all talked about like the HR route and getting support. But I think it's, you know, clinicians, we're not going to get everything right, just like aside from microaggressions, but just in general with our communication that, you know, I don't want to completely take off like, you know, that opportunity or kind of us combing through a little bit more what it would look like to tell the person that said the statement, like, you know, how would, you know, have y'all ever dealt with that, like addressing somebody head on, on something they said offensive? I mean, I think, I, I think it's a good, Point, and I'm going to just say this. I'll let Kyle say what he got to say. Um, I, I think what you said is a good point, right? Like considering its intent, what it does for me is it allows me to assess whether it's an opportunity to educate or whether I, sh- or whether I should be comfortable in my offense, right? Um, that's what assessing intent, intent does. In that situation, yeah. and, and quite honestly, in all situations, in all of your relationships and all of your interactions, if you take, that's what we try to teach people in therapy, right? It's it's an element of emotional regulation, right? Mm-hmm. Think before you do, right? So you want to consider the intent of the other person. And if you know that this person didn't intend to hurt you, most likely it's going to be easier for you, right, to manage your anger, right? But if right. you don't consider it, then you're going to go straight to the offense. So that's that's what I take from what you're saying. I think it's gold, right? It's, it's considering intent, intent will allow you whether it's an opportunity to educate like this is how this makes me feel and other people or offense like you know this is what you did you crossed the line and you know yeah word yeah um jay you pretty much said everything that i was uh was gonna address i absolutely the intent is 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 a key ingredient and depending on how that message is you know being relayed to you like i said if whether it's malice or it's like genuine like ignorance where the person is saying something that they're not aware is offensive you know is also going to determine all right well this is this opportunity um I can educate this person or if it's malice and that person was, you know, again, trying to be offensive, then, you know, that person is most likely not going to be receptive to this education or this opportunity for you to inform or enlighten them. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think the intent is a, is an important factor to the taking place. And, you know, really quickly, there have been some moments where you know, yeah, I've had, um, I had to educate somebody, a couple people. Cause I'm just like, eh, yeah, that's, you know, and it wasn't, made the mark the remark wasn't made at me but it was about someone else of a different another person of color and i kind of had to educate that individual like yeah this is offensive for 
X amount of re- amount of reasons. So, um, you know, that person was receptive to it, you know, unfortunately. Um, so, but yeah, I think uh, the intent, like you mentioned, Ashley, is, is, is the important factor. All right. So uh, hopefully that was helpful uh, to the listener, to Nikki, to um, anyone else that has had to, has experienced any microaggressions, because a lot of us have, and it's different, like Jason said, depending on the field and the environment that you work in. So, uh, so yeah, good good info, everyone. All right. So late last week, Bill Cosby was uh, was released from prison, and. Uh, while I, I don't like seeing any black man in prison uh, and whether you want to term it a technicality and overturn or whatever term you want to utilize, you know, Bill Cosby's release was not a win for black America. That's my opinion. Um, you know, because for me, I think more of when he was released, I'm looking and thinking more about what about the accusers, right? What about the people that were the victims? And I feel like this leaves the accusers or the victims re-traumatized. And that's really concerning for me. So, um, and there have been a lot of things that I've seen as far as some of the, um, some of the, the victims and some of the people that, you know, came out against him originally that the the ruling re-triggered a lot of their, their post-traumatic stress symptoms. And so, you know, I think we're going to see more of that as far as, you know, as the days go on, you know, you're going to see a lot of people expressing, you know, their feelings of trauma and re-traumatization. And I think when situations like this occur, you know, it's going to also exacerbate that feeling of hopelessness and, and helplessness, especially when we're talking about the, the criminal or the, the judicial system or, or what have you. You know, like when that decision, when I kind of saw it, you know, take place. You know, for me, it was like, you know, this seems like this could be like a, a giant step back in some of the progress that they made with, you know, not just the Me Too movement, but just kind of with any type of situation where you had individuals that were able to use, you know, their power, their fame, their celebrity to, you know, get away with things. And so, um, you know, I think it's just going to exacerbate or, or worsen, you know, and make it more difficult for survivors to come forward, you know, and make accusations because it's already difficult for when and when a victim does come forward and they go to make accusations or they go to, you know, make these reports, it's already difficult going through that whole system of having to share your story and go through the criminal process and all these other different things. And I feel like, you know, when you have a situation like this that takes place, that's gonna, you know, have this effect on people that have been assaulted or future victims. And they're just going to be like, well, how do I trust, you know, the justice system if this is what's going to take place. So uh, that's just a little tip of the iceberg, but I'm going to let y'all jump in there. Uh, Ashley, go ahead, get it, you know, go for it. Sure. So I'm going to start by saying that um, every, I think that all the points that you made are completely valid. I'll start there. Um, just that, I mean, the justice system in itself, let me start with the justice system. I believe that, um, the justice system is not fair, obviously in a lot of ways. I think that if you have, um, money and resources, um, race, uh, certain gender, like there's certain factors that 
make the uh, punishments more lenient on others. Um, so I will say say that um, I haven't followed the Cosby case, you know, from start to finish. Um, so I am not aware of, you know, what everyone says. I just kind of have like an overview of what he was accused of. Um, I've read in some places where, you know, what he's in, in some ways admitted to. And so, you know, the, the justice system, though, I will say is very kind of like, quote unquote, black and white and how it terms certain behaviors. And to my understanding, you know, some of the behaviors he did admit to and some of them he didn't. It's I'm not going to say like you said, I love when the black man is, you know, treated like other men that have been in this position. And so uh, we've seen times where, you know, race has just been a, a huge factor. And so I'm, I'm trying to be as politically correct as possible on this statement, be, you know, on this topic, because if, if I want somebody, if someone repeats what I said, I want to be able to stand by it. Right. And so what I will say is that it is unfortunate for individuals that have been assaulted because it kind of like highlights this idea that, you know, women are lying and that, you know, like if you come forward, there's not there's going to be more shame for you coming forward than it will be consequence for the person that's the offender. However, I also do want to say that if there was some information that was brought about that the justice system believed that, you know, based on whatever, based on whatever facts, whether it was past experiences, some new information they found that Bill Cosby deserved to be released, then I'm definitely um, happy to see that in terms of like personally how I feel about the contribution that Bill Cosby has made. So he did serve time. If that was adequate for his offense, I do believe in, you know, rehabilitation and people being given second chances. So with that being said, I'm going to let Jason kind of like give his perspective and, you know, maybe expound a little bit more because I actually had um, something I was reading uh, when I knew that we would talk about this topic, but I will say I didn't post about it um, either way. I didn't celebrate, but I also didn't um, you know, like I wasn't upset or like sad once I heard he was released. So this, this is what I'm going to say. I think in general, people in general have have a hard time in real time separating the artist from the art. Right. I think people have a hard time separating the person, Bill Cosby, from Heathcliff's Huxtable and the Cosby show. Those are two different things. Right. I do agree that. The criminal justice system is not fair. It favors rich white men, right? But this is, to me, and, and, in, this, and in this case, it favored Bill Cosby, right? Because Bill Cosby was able to form a plea deal, essentially, or an agreement in the first trial that freed him in the second trial, right? But it does not excuse his behavior. So he's a man of privilege and money, but it does not excuse his behavior. And what I mean by that is I am... I'm saddened and I don't understand the amount of support that he's getting from people of color. I think it's very confusing and it sends a very um, bad message. And the let reason why, I, oh, hold, hold, on, me, hold on, let me, hold on, let me finish my, about his I, I, yo, I'll answer any questions, but let me just, let me just flush out my point. 
Because when people say that he was released from prison because of Bill Cosby was released from prison on a technicality, right? The judge said it, it was a technicality because he made this agreement that he wouldn't be prosecuted. Then he had to be released from prison. So if we were a bunch of lawyers and prosecutors sitting around talking about why he was released. He was released for the correct, correct technical reason, right? Bill Cosby admitted to drugging women on tape, right? He admitted to being a rapist on tape. That's moral. It's not a technicality. I can never support that in any sense of the way, right? And what I would challenge everybody who is supporting him, or for lack of better terms, spiking the football, if we were to change the circumstances, all the people that want to say, oh, the women shouldn't have went to their house, what was their intent? Bill Cosby, you know, he got off. He beat a rape, just like OJ beat a murder. Doesn't mean that he didn't do it. The second thing I would challenge people to do is take all of the circumstances and apply them to any female in your family and see if your if your feelings don't change. Apply it to any female in your family, the circumstances of the case, and see if people's feelings change. So I don't understand at all why I go on Facebook and I see people celebrating his release. He was released on a technicality. So OJ, most likely, this is my humble opinion, right? Mark Furman planted the evidence. So did he deserve to be released because Mark Furman planted the evidence? Yes, Mark Furman interfered in the process. Does that mean he ain't killed that woman? No, not to me, not to most logical people. And that is the difference here. Bill Cosby is on tape talking about he was spiking drinks and then taking advantage of women. So if that is okay, then I'm going to need people to stand up and say, that's okay. Same way when Rick Ross said it, right? Molly all in a champagne. Everybody, if you good with that, then you good with what Bill Cosby was doing. Now, that's the difference. If you want to say he beat on a technicality, fine. But I can't justify a stand by anything he's saying. Now, with that, I'll answer any question you got for me, Dr. Poole. So my question was, he admitted to, so I think there that's where I'm unclear. And I just kind of looked up what CNN has, so I'm not even sure if that's an accurate um, statement. So you're saying that because what this says is that Bill Cosby admitted to getting quaaludes mm-hmm. and giving them to women. You're right. saying that he admitted to secretly giving them to women. Yeah. Yeah. He was saying he was putting them in the drinks. He's putting them in the drinks. He is. He is. He Bill Cosby was taped in a deposition. Yeah. He's it's equivalent of roofing women. Okay. So, yeah. So I wasn't. This is the first time that I've heard that portion of it. I see it says when you got the quaaludes, was it in your mind that you were going to use these quaaludes for young women that you want to have sex with? And he said, yes. Um. Yeah. And oh, okay. So I see where it says, did you ever give any of those young women the quaaludes without their knowledge? Cosby's attorney objected and told him not to answer that question. Okay. So you, you gave them to people. Yes. So I think that that is um that is where to me it yeah, like that's where it gets more clear. It get fu- listen, it mm-hmm. could get fuzzy right there. And I listen. This is the thing, right? And I'm just going to say this as a person that works with sexual assault victims, right? The clarity that most people are seeking here, right? The person, somebody got robbed. Who did it? The person in the green shirt. Now I find the person in the green shirt and the gun and the prints on the gun. 
It just does not work that way when we talk about sexual assault. It doesn't fit together as neatly as people would like it to, to fit. There's usually no physical evidence. Now, that doesn't mean we believe every person that makes a wild accusation. And that doesn't mean, you know, that we shame every victim, you know. But I think that we got to look a little deeper when we have 60 people that don't know each other and are describing the same crime. And then you have a bunch of people, right, who, and I'm not talking about you, haven't even dug into the case. And they're saying, oh, it's, 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 it's structural racism. We Another black man beat the system. It, it just it makes us look very emotional and it makes it it makes the real issues that we have look like they have no teeth. Because you have people lining up to support individuals who I don't want to say again, I'm not in the courtroom, but I mean, what are we talking about here? You know what I mean? It, if anybody's daughter or son or, or grandmother or mother was in the same situation, there were people who might be singing a different tune. You know, so again, you know what I mean? Um, but I think you know, the, I think the other variables that people are considering um, would be. The motivation for, you know, certain certain, you know, coming forward, you know what I'm saying? I'm, like, like I'm, I, that, I'm glad we have this conversation. Let's talk are, about are yeah. reflecting on like, um, OK, so let me ask you, Jason, if you if you poured um, it. So I'm not even going to use that because I don't want to compare the two. So let's just stick with the statements. Um, if if you did something to me and I and we had an agreement on how it was going to be handled. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, and, and, and you do what you need to do on your end? Do you still think it's fair for me to hold you accountable later after we've made this agreement? Now, specifically in what we're talking about. What you said specifically, no, but I just want to be clear what I see a lot of people doing. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but what I see a lot of people doing when they say intent is that what they're implying. Right. Is that, yo, these what they're implying and what they're saying without saying it is like, yo, these women put themselves in that position. They went to his house and they knew what was going to happen at his house. Right. That, that's what people are. That's what some people imply when they talk about the intent of the women, because they're implying that these women intended to lead him on and to further their career, right? But I got a surprise for everybody. That's not illegal, right? People, women go to clubs and, I, and some women go to clubs every week, right? They dress right. real nice. They get people to buy them club, uh, 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 drinks. They give them the wrong number and they go home, right? That's perfectly legal. That same woman could choose to go out with you, use your money to pay for dinner, then go home with you, watch a movie, give you a kiss and then decide to go home. Now, if you put something in her drink or prevent her from leaving and force yourself on her, you cannot turn around and say, well, she came to my house and we were drinking. So she knew what was up. That, that's not acceptable. And, 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 my, and my position is when you start down the road to those 60 people went to her, her, his house. So they got what they deserved, essentially. That's what we're doing. And I see a bunch of people doing that. That's what I see people doing. Women I, are women or men are allowed to miss to, to use people to advance their career and not right. be raped for it. it it's, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think that a lot of people just don't have all of the facts and the information. And that's one reason that I am, you know, stating the facts and stating that I don't know them all. And I'm asking questions and I'm bringing different things for us to discuss, because I think most people that have an opinion 
don't have all of the facts anyway. They haven't followed it. They don't know the technicalities. They're just looking at, you know, kind of like one main point in, in drawing a conclusion. It's not, and, and everybody can have opinions. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Felicia Rashad lost her job because of her opinion. They and, fired her? Yeah. They fired that's why her ter- Howard terminated this. Did you I hear just- that, Kyle? Yeah, I wow. did see. I saw that recently, and that was that was really unfortunate. Like that was wow. Yeah, because she has she spoke in support of him, and so uh, uh, you know another reason that I um, you know that I do think that uh, it just needs to be all things just need to be discussed. At the end of the day, I don't want to judge anyone and say like, oh, they got what they deserve. I would never say that because I absolutely agree. The law is the law. You, you know what I'm saying? I can go out nude if I want. And as a woman, you know, like dress provide, I love dressing sexy and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that that equates to me saying, come take advantage of me. But what I'm, what I'm thinking about is the other things that need to be discussed in regards to um, what else is true about this circumstance. You know, I think that the analogy you gave about women doing certain things and it not being illegal and not meaning that they deserve for the man to implement a consequence. But I am saying in regards to if certain things were negotiated and agreements were made, you know, fast forward how things, you know. I think one thing I want to say is I agree with what you said in the sense that nobody has all the facts, right? And I I don't have all the facts either. It's my my opinion based off the facts that I have, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I, my issue was just with, I just see a lot of people talking about intent. Right. Um, but again, like you said, right. I can't totally disagree with your, the position you raised. I'm not even saying it's your position because this is just a position you raised because, because that might be his position, right. That might be Bill Cosby's position that, yo, we, we all agree. That might be his position. I don't know. You, you understand what I'm saying? All I'm saying is um, because we're all, again, we're analyzing pieces of what we see, right? Um, but I'm just saying what I've had a problem with and seeing is, especially when I talk to men, is men go to intent. Oh, well, they knew what they was getting into. Mm-hmm. Like to me, again, and these same people, they got daughters, they got mothers, they got sisters, right? And if you imply that same situation to one of those people, they'd be ready to hurt something. Easy. I- my thing was also what was concerning to me was that not only was it coming from men, but it was also coming from women. And I that that's always like mind blowing to me that being that women have been assaulted, you know, that you would think that, OK, that sisterhood, that womanhood that would kick in. But I saw and observed a lot of women various ages again just kind of i don't know if it's based off of emotion or again, it's just like, OK, the system worked for this black man. Right. And it's just like, well, these women are out here being harmed, sexually assaulted, traumatized, right? All these different things. And and you would see like, well, you have a whole large list of women that came out and oh, it's just a female conspiracy. They're just out to get paid. They're out to all these other different harmful things. And one, that's something that I've always I've had to either educate or kind of inform people about. Like, listen, even there's a there was an ever growing list of women that came out. Okay, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, of course, you think about, oh, money grab, right? All these different situations. But a lot of times when you have situations, especially with sexual sexual assault or abuse, it's not a female conspiracy. 
right? Anytime when you have an allegation that comes out against a suspect or a perpetrator regarding like any type of sexual assault, and then it becomes public because, okay, it might be a well-known figure, right? It just means that, and then we start to see other people start to come out and, and share their story that they've experienced with the same person. That just means that the other women feel safe now, right? They've been victimized and now they feel safe in those numbers to come forward because before usually when you have maybe like one or two people unfortunately the you know lawyers attorneys the, the system has to take course but they can also you know use character deficiencies on these persons right they can sit here and say well oh this person does this look at the way she dressed look at all these different things right so you can usually kind of flash off one or two people well when that number starts to grow and again now you have people that have been victimized that are feeling safety in the strength of numbers. And then is there all these stories that aren't public knowledge are starting to corroborate each other where you have the, you know, your experience was similar to mine, your experience, all the other different things are kind of starting to sound like a pattern. Well, then this is why, you know, that strength in numbers, this is why you start to see like these large numbers come out in cases like this. It's not a money grab. It's not a female conspiracy. This is what's taking place when you have people that have been victimized. And then it's a situation where, you know, in most cases, Nothing happens. Right. That's the big fear of people that come forward. Like I was looking at the numbers. It says only 25 out of a thousand sexual abuse people end with their assailant or their perpetrator going to jail. Twenty five out of a thousand. So in other words, what that means is that who, most people that commit sexual assault are going to get away with it. In particular, if they have an academic institution or they have fame, they have celebrity, they have all these other different things, right, that are going to be willing to sweep things underneath the rug or suppress the allegations. So, it, like, for me, it was mind-blowing when I saw even women, you know, coming at other women, right, throwing their reputation, all these other different things. And I and I get, like, like you said, Jay, it's people I've noticed have had difficulty separating you know, the, the individual from the behavior. And I understand that the, you know, the law and the court system has to take place, right? He's entitled to have a, a representative defend him. And if his representative is able to say, Hey, this is the deal that we cut, or I, you know, they're able to do their due diligence and get whatever sexual assault knocked down to a lesser charge. Okay. That's, that's the court system, right? We, there's nothing more you can do about that. And as far as his reputation, but it doesn't mean, okay, you have, again, Cosby, who has done amazing work and pioneered, you wouldn't have a lot of black shows or a lot of black sitcoms on if it wasn't for the Cosby show. It wasn't for the different world. I watch it, have still continued to watch it. However, I can also sit here and say that your behavior, if you're sitting here saying that you have roofied or quaalude to take advantage of women, that is wrong. Like you said, that is morally wrong. And so, again, once someone comes out and they speak out against this, then, yeah, you know, the court system has to do whatever. But if I'm looking at it just from a behavior standpoint, no, this is morally wrong, bro. Simple as that. Yeah, I think with women, too, though, that um, race is very relevant. So when we look at um, when we look at behaviors that are classified as, you know, like sexual harassment, sexual abuse, whatever we, you know, define term here you will find that a lot of people from childhood haven't been taught what that is. So, you know, I've always had big breasts since like, I had like my bras that were adult women size in, in elementary school, like middle school, like middle school. And 
I, I, you know, like there were certain times where statements would be made or certain um, gestures. And, you know, fast forward present day, like gaining knowledge and awareness, I realized that I had been assaulted. Did I did I view it that way? But by definition, absolutely it was. I never forget. I was going to a, a, a one of my jobs one day since I've been living in Philly and I had on a red shirt and the uh, maintenance man, he was smoking a cigarette. And he told me that, you know, like red was his favorite color. He said something that was, you know, complimentary. And if he, he said also, too, if he wasn't married then, you know, he would ask me for my number or something. So when I got to the office, I told my supervisor and she told me that that was sexual harassment, asked me if I wanted to, you know, like report this man that had made this statement. And so I didn't report him. And I I do think, so I'm not defending people. I'm just explaining, like we said, we're behave, you know, we, we, we study behavior, thoughts, feelings, behaviors. My thought was this man was attempting to give me a compliment. It was inappropriate. So my feeling was neutral. It guided my behavior. No, I don't want to turn him in. And so I think in these situations where, you know, minorities have seen people of color be you know, taking advantage of, it's easy for people to believe that this is a conspiracy theory. There's a lot of people that are saying like when he got ready to purchase NBC, that this is when all of this came out. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, I agree 150% with you all that no woman deserves to be taken advantage of. And, you know, I stand by, you know, every person that came forward and was brave enough to do that. But when we talk about the whole picture and not pointing the finger and not saying, you know, somebody this way for thinking that way, I can, you know, only try to really think like, why would someone, you know, knowingly support someone that they know took advantage of women? And I think that they're looking, they're minimizing that, you know, behavior. Maybe they didn't hear the fact that he admitted to giving it to him. The only part they heard was the first part that I read where he said, yes, he got the quaaludes for the women. Yes, he gave them to them. But they've kind of minimized the other part and maximized what else is true about this situation, whether it's timelines. And I would hope that they wouldn't just do this for Bill Cosby, but that's their thought process. But I do know a lot of this comes from historically how we were taught on managing things like, you know, value system. Do I want to tell that this boy was rubbing my breast at the pencil sharpener and risk him getting suspended and or expelled from school? Or do I want to, you know, minimize it like cost benefit analysis and as unhealthy and as unfortunate and as disgusting as it may be, we do have to kind of talk about some of the reasons behind people and not in support of them, but just in explanation and understanding how people could arrive at this. But like I said, I didn't post it. I didn't celebrate. I didn't do anything. And I was really looking forward to gaining perspective. And I've actually learned some things tonight. And I'm very happy to see that it's two Black men that are speaking about this in a way of these are the facts that we know, and this is how we feel about it, and hoping that because I will guarantee it's even smaller if you isolated black people. If 25 out of a thousand is found in general, it's right. probably half a <clears throat> half a man <laughs> out right. of three hundred thousand for us. Right. So thank you guys. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. And one thing you said that I think was 100 and on point is that my humble opinion, right? Like the tradition of this country, right, has created has created the conditions for this, right? Meaning like, we know everybody had, we, we've seen, you know, 
black men that we think were powerful that have have gotten you know a, not a fair shake right we've seen white men who were powerful get off right we all have seen people in our family that we've seen go through the criminal justice system and not get that first break right not get slapped on the wrist and go and get go to prison and get felonies and all of those things for other things people are slapped on the wrist for so i think the the tradition of that in this country right of giving black males disproportionate sentences, right? Sending our fathers away, our brothers away, breaking up our families. That has created the conditions, right? For us to, when one person beats the system, no matter how horrible it is, morally, people will stick up for them, right? People was happy for OJ because they felt like they won. They felt like they got one over. You should have seen the reaction. They still show it on the news, the reaction at Howard University. People, it was like people had won something. Oh man, we right. was in, we was in sixth grade. We celebrated that. I remember. Right, yeah. right. Now I mean, look it up. Yeah, we <laughs> was, was banging chairs in the lunchroom and everything. And then, like you say, naive. You just thinking about the historical aspect of we finally got a win. Now I bet you, if you start peeling back the layers of some of those people, right, inevitably because of the numbers, some of those people have mothers who have experienced domestic violence. Some of those people have seen it. Some of those people have been through it themselves. So if they really started to process and really digest what they were promoting, they might change their mind, right? But again, the the tradition of this country, of us being screwed over in those ways, creates those conditions for people to be like, yeah, one person won. No matter how horrible the offensive, even if it's murder, or in this case, somebody accused of sexual assault, it sounds crazy. Right. But one of my greatest mentors told me a long time ago, when people do things that go against their own interests, you got to look beneath the surface for their motivation. You got to because it's not logical. So, again, that's my humble opinion. But, you know, it's, it's, it's how we got here. I do like what you mentioned, Ashley. Um, there's a reason why. Right. There's a reason why and what we as a people have been exposed to, what we've been taught. You know, absolutely a lack of education, a lack of, you know, our own self-esteem of what we've, you know, been subjected to has has an impact. So, you know, that's something honestly I can sit here and say that I really didn't consider, which I should have, but I'm, you know, this is why you're here. This is why you're here to enlighten us, Ashley, because you know what, there is a reason why, you know, people are, are feeling like that and people are happy. So when you're looking at it from that aspect, and it's just something that we've gotten used to you know, experiencing and there's, there's that lack of education and insight, then yeah, people are going to celebrate or kind of have that thought process in a certain manner. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know? Yeah, I think we both, like I said, y'all definitely helped me and gave me some insight into things to consider. And so now I can have more thoughts to talk about it because we're going to, you know, be talking about this for, for a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Oh, wow. It ain't yep. going away. All right, so staying with the same topic, but going to the other side. Um, Kevin Gates, a rapper from, I want to say he's from New Orleans, I believe. Um, During a recent episode of Hot Boxing, uh, it's a podcast with Mike Tyson. He recently opened up about his rap career and about his tough persona and, you know, which both he attributes are coping mechanisms to deal with the abuse that he experienced as a child. So, Kevin opened up and he said, it was an escape for me. 
you know, uh, talking about his decision to start rapping. He said, I'm going to say something. I've never said this in, in no interview before, no podcast or anything like that. I grew up real, real violent and real aggressive, not because I wanted to be, but because I was molested when I was a child. And so he talks about how he went on to do a lot of different activities like martial arts, boxing and all these other different things. And of, and of course, uh, writing and, and, and rapping and music is the thing that was always his escape. And that's the thing that that stuck. So, um, Jay, when you, you saw this article, what were your thoughts? Oh, I was floored, man, um, for a bunch of reasons. First of all. Kevin Gates was already one of my favorite rappers. He, you know, he's already all over my iPad, my playlist. Um, for him and Mike Tyson to, to approach this topic in a way they did, I was floored. Um, I was impressed, and I think it did it did a lot. And what I mean by that is, number one, you know, sexual abuse, especially in, in communities of color, is a subject that's off that's 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 off limits to talk about. Although it occurs in our community a lot. Um, it's off limits. Most people, when they experience it, like we talked about it early, earlier, they just deal with it and, and move away, move on with their life. Right. But that trauma is still there. Um, and I think the most important point that he made, and I mean, this is just gold, is that when we talk about trauma, we usually talking about people that have been in car accidents. Right. People that have experienced um, violence. Right. People that have been in wars. Right. But he was talking about it from the perspective of somebody who is the aggressor, right? He said, that's why we started killing, right? And I'm, and I'm gonna be very honest, when you go into these jails and you start talking to gang members and you start unwrap, unwrapping the layers of the people in our, in our society that we consider the most violent, there's always trauma there. There's always neglect, abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse is there. And when you experience, you know, these types of traumatic experiences, everybody does, doesn't internalize it. Some people internalize it and they cut and they develop anxiety or depression. And some people externalize it and they become aggressive and they will take it out on you or anyone else. Right. And I say that to say that we got to stop looking at people who are aggressive and just looking at their behavior and just considering them criminals. Right. Because they're just and, and people don't like when I say this because it's very traumatizing. Right. But we got to consider the person behind the gun is just as traumatized as the person who gets shot sometimes. What's your take, Ashley? I, I would agree. Um, highlighting everything Jay said. One thing that I think is super helpful is that I think anytime someone speak that, that people, you know, consider like a role model or that they can identify with, which, you know, like if he, if, if, you know, he appeals to a large group of type, you know, or types of people, you know, an example, like, Jay, who's a psychologist, also, you know, like people that can relate to his music and that pain, you know, that trauma that he's been through. And so I do think for him to, you know, use that platform to be so vulnerable is helpful because it will encourage other people to be, you know, vulnerable. I think the the main point that Jay stated that it was also a standout for me, too, was kind of like looking at how clinicians that are working with um, youth can maybe do more thorough assessments to see like what is um what's kind of like the trigger for these behaviors you know what i'm saying like i mean you know it's it's easy to say oh he you know i think i think now they're starting to recognize oh a person didn't eat that morning so okay now they you know feeding them in, at school and they're recognizing that um 
oh, you know, um, he doesn't really understand what's being, he can't read. That's why he's acting out because he want to get kicked out before it's his turn to read. And I think this, this just adds another level of assessment of things to kind of look and look, look further into and explore. Because if you ask like just on a checkbox, you haven't been molested, anybody ever touched you, maybe that may not come out. But, you know, further exploration into just what was your day like? You know, did anything happen yesterday? It can kind of assist to see that the, 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 the to, to let this child know, or even this person in adulthood, that becoming so aggressive so that this doesn't happen to you, like, because Mike identified with that too. Mike said that that's why he became like, what, the most vicious person or whatever. Right. That an alternative behavior that could be one more healthy and productive they can also protect you from, you know, this re-traumatization happening again. But I just, I, I really admire him for, you know, speaking on that. Like I said, especially when, you know, he, he really didn't have to. I, I wonder if he was familiar with Mike's story and that kind of like encouraged it, or if it was just kind of like Tom, I know he spoke about religion, which we know is a protective factor and how he kind of tried to run from that calling but now he's, you know, been embracing it. Yeah. I, um, one, something that stood out while, while I was reading it was like one in six boys, right? One in six boys is sexually abused before their 18th birthday. Right. So I, I didn't expect the number to be that high. And unfortunately, when you're talking about male victims or, or or young boys that are victims of sexual abuse or sexual assault, like they're often forgot about, right? They're often neglected. They're often, you know, they get these adverse reactions. They're shamed. They're, you know, all these things that contribute to that stigma, right? And even, you know, a lot of them who have experienced that abuse, just like Kevin, they're not going to reveal it. They're not going to even the people that they trust, people that they love, they're not going to reveal it out of the fear of either an insensitive or an inaccurate or like that victim blaming um, reaction that they'll get, especially in our community. You know, it's that, oh, what, what you gay man, what you which, why you let that happen? Right. You get shamed, you get blamed for it. And then that's where it comes out. Like Kevin mentioned, like Mike talked about, you know, because there's an impact, like you were saying, actually, there's an impact that happens to people that are traumatized. And like you said, that protective factor comes into it, right? And then you be, sometimes to some situations you become over aggressive or it could be an adverse or the other opposite end of the spectrum where you shy away from relationships from men, right? And that can include brothers, that can include coworkers, cousins, friends, Right. So you can either sometimes be overly aggressive or you could be on the opposite area. And for those like in Kevin and like you said, you know, Mike talked about it. Mike said, I'm going to be the meanest motherfucker on the planet because somebody that did something to me, I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again. So I'm going to be this guy. So it comes out after, you know, it's like you get that fear or you feel like you're blaming yourself. Right. Because that's an important factor or impact that happens that a lot of victims start to blame themselves that they weren't macho enough, right? That they weren't tough enough to either prevent it or protect themselves from happening. So it's like, we're going to overly, you know, compensate and I'm going to go in this direction where it doesn't happen. And we've all seen that, right? You get misdiagnosed, you get mislabeled, right? That aggression, you do something and you get locked up, right? All these different things that stem from a trauma. So what I appreciated one, like, was was Kevin's honesty. And I think it does have that community that comes out because Mike immediately was like, yeah, I know that. I know that path, too. 
And so, like you said, I'm not sure if he did know, you know, but something he felt comfortable enough to say this in front of Mike, right? Who's as macho and as tough as they come. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you, you feel like, you know, you're going to get, again, this, hopefully more people will start to come forward and know it's like, hey, you know what? Again, one in six. That's a lot. It's a high number we're talking about in the scheme of things, right? So hopefully with this, this shines that light because unfortunately, in order for stigma to start to become reduced or lessened, you people do have to come out. And it's and it's tough just for all those reasons we mentioned. But I'm happy that he was comfortable enough to come out and then hopefully more stories will will, will start to you know come forward. So but yep, it was a good, I mean it was a good piece. It's- it's definitely a good piece. Um, and like I said, um, I'm just glad that they kind of had the courage to jump out there and deal with that serious of a subject because, I mean, sexual assault is bad no matter who it happens to. Um, but especially when we're talking about children, um, it's especially horrible, um, equally for boys and girls. But when we look at the two populations, um, a lot of children in general slip through the cracks, but boys, um, Sometimes, you know, because of some of the stigma that's associated with them disclosing. Right. So good, good article. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to finish up with some more current news that happened late last week, kind of going into the weekend. So on Friday, star American sprinter Shakari Richardson, she was barred from competing in her signature Olympic event, the women's open meter, 100 meter dash. Why? What was her infraction? She tested positive for marijuana. And although her uh, drug test was obtained in in Oregon, where that's where the uh, Olympic trials took place and that's where they were held, uh, where I want to add that uh, recreational cannabis or marijuana use is legal among adults for recreational use. The World Anti-Doping Agency rules indicated that she be suspended for a competition for a month. Now, she after this took place, um, she went on the Today Show and I think a couple other different news outlets and um, she apologized. Um, I don't honestly feel that she should have apologized. I mean, not to I think the general public, maybe maybe to people that she cares about and maybe her inner firm. I don't think she owes anyone an apology, but she did anyway. Um, she also took responsibility for it. You know, she said, Hey, I know what I did. Um, I know the rules and and things that go on. So I, you know, I thought that was commendable because she took responsibility. She didn't give like a PC type of answer or, or anything. Um, and then she, she mentioned that she ingested marijuana after, you know, learning from a news reporter that her biological mother had passed away. So, you know, that's something to really just kind of think about. Right. When you she received that information from her mother passing away from not from a family member, not from a friend, but from a news reporter who was asking her a line of questions and brought that to her. So I can only imagine what that experience was like. Um, so, yeah. So she has been suspended for a competition of a month. It at least it lasts from what I had read. Um, it doesn't look like she's going to be able to do the the open one, the, the 100 meter dash, which she just obliterated the competition when she ran. Um, she might be able to do the four by one, but at least right now she can do her her open one event. Uh, so take me through it. Ashley, what were your thoughts? So I think I uh, agree with what a way you approached it. Um, I agree. She's 21 years old. 
Um, I'm glad that she just, you know, came out. I think she put on Twitter, I'm human. Um, and I think that, you know, it's an unfortunate situation because, you know, definitely wanted to see her race. Um, but I do tend to side with, um, so at the end of the day, she did something wrong. She's getting a consequence, boom. But to just like elaborate and give like more perspective on it, I do think that um, maybe the rules, the regulations need to be updated because, you know, I started researching further and because like on Facebook, they were saying that some people could say that she was using marijuana as a performance enhanced, you know, because they ask people like, do you perform better when you smoke? And some people are like, yeah, or like it helps with recovery because it helps them sleep better, whatever, whatever. But after like looking up official documents, um, you know, it said the rule dashed her dreams of competing in her signature um, 100 meter race, despite THC not being a performance enhancing drug. Um, again, stating that she used in the aftermath of her mother's death, but it just says that, you know, and I agree with this statement that it should, you know, cause people, you know, the organizations to discard outdated requirements for drug abstinence for workers whose private use doesn't affect professional performance. And so I do think that while it's in place, like I said, she, she messed up. And so she's not going to be able to compete, but going forward, I am pro recreational drug use for adults. I don't know if you all are familiar with Dr. Carl Hart, but he actually um, is a neuroscientist um, at Columbia. I want to say he's the first 10 year African-American professor there, but he put out a yeah. book and it was yeah. like drug use for adults. And he talked about recreational drug use and, you know, to some people's advantage, certain drugs get out your system quickly. So you can recreationally use because, you know, your body metabolizes it so quickly. Whereas other people will see like will see consequences of their recreational drug use if it stays in their system. So at the end of the day, I am I'm not even going to say I'm, I'm disappointed in her. I'm just sad that this is the circumstance. It's unfortunate because, you know, marijuana can help coping. But, you know, if I had to side with if I had to write some reports to help support these, you know, outdated um, regulations being in place, I definitely would. Um, support people recreationally using drugs that don't enhance performance and don't impact their ability, like even in a professional workplace, you know, Jay, Jay um, what's your, what your take, bro? Yo, there's no hot take here, man. Like I, I agree with what Ashley said totally. And I don't, and again, I don't understand where the controversy is, right? She's in her twenties. I look at that as like, I don't mean any disrespect to her. She's a, a grown woman, but I look at that as like a, a young person to me, right? Um, so what I mean is still, I still count that as a young person. Like she's obviously not a teenager, but 18 to 25 to me is still in that range where you can make mistakes and still have cover under that. I was I was a, ch a kid. I just made a dumb mistake when you're my age, right? Um so I look at her as 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 making a, a bad choice, definitely a poor choice. Um, and I feel personally, I feel bad for her, right? Um, but I think she accepted responsibility for her actions. And I don't understand why a lot of other people are having problems accepting responsibility. She's 20 and she accepted responsibility. But there are people who are twice her age that are arguing at the rule. Now, now again. Don't throw me into the barrel of, 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 of uh, you know, um, cross between the crosswalk, right? Rules, rules, rules. Because I'm not that guy either. You understand? But 
similar to what Dr. Poole said, right? The rule has been in place for the last 50 years, right? So whether or not you agree with it is a different story. Like we all had to take urine tests to, for, to get into hospitals. Whether or not we were taking urine tests while they were debating whether marijuana should be legal in New Jersey and other states. You think all the people that, that for lack of a, a, a better term, pissed hot, you think they have a, an argument in court? No. Now, the day after the law is made, is, is put into place, they have all of the argument. So I don't want to be the rules, rules, rules guy. But it's like anybody who owns a business. If I walked in there tomorrow with a cigarette and I was just like, yo, just look me out because I'm young and dumb. <laughs> you're going to look at me like I'm a fool. You're going to be like, yo, this is my place. These are my rules. So you know what your consequence is? You get no food. You got to leave. If you go into a bar, same rules. If you go into a club, same rules. But you go on social media and you got people who are arguing that the rule is racist. The rule is racist. This is where I get off the train because it starts to be, again, we're not talking about whether culturally, whether we have opportunities, whether we want to see her in that position, whether we're proud seeing her in that position, whether she has a lot of brown girls looking up to her. She has all of those things, right? But that, that can't <laughs> complicate whether or not she should accept responsibility for violating the rule. It's very simple. We teach our kids every day. You violate a rule, you get no dessert. You violate a rule, you go to bed early, right? So that's why I say with a lot of these situations that we look at, we make them complicated when they're really very simple. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but the same rules that we apply to ourselves in our workplaces, to people that we respect, people will blatantly just violate it just because of how they feel, because they want to see her on the TV. So because we want to see her on the TV, if she was doing heroin and she tested positive for heroin, there are going to be people that say, yo, she wasn't hurting nobody. She did the heroin in the park by herself. That, that's, that's, the, that's the mentality that we have. So, again, like moving forward, I support her. She'll, she'll have my support. You know, it was weed. It's not, you know, the end of the world doesn't make her a bad person. But she, like me, like a lot of people, made a poor choice, you know. And I'm sure that she won't make that decision again. And a lot of the young girls and boys looking at her now in high school, in college, won't make that decision. So, again, don't understand why this controversy, but, you know, I give her definitely still support her. So I wasn't on the um, these rules are racist train, but I was on the these rules seem to be a bit antiquated train. So, mm -hmm. you know, I went into it and I'm looking at, all right, let's see what these rules are. What is this? This what's how is it prohibited? And then I also started looking at it kind of like through a clinician type of lens. So as we're looking at rules and I may go on a little bit of a rant. All right. So I'm just kind of giving you a heads up rant alert. Go ahead. Rant, all right. Go ahead, so here's rant. the thing. So these these rules uh, on cannabis. So the agency, right, the anti doping agency, it classifies substances as prohibited. OK, so if they meet two of three of the criteria, right? So one of the criteria is the, the substance has to be performance enhancing. Two, it has to be a health risk to the athlete. Or three, it violates the spirit of the sport. Okay. Which I'm <laughs> confident that weed or marijuana does not meet this definition, right? All right. So let's let's get to the first one. So Ashley, you mentioned it, right? You mentioned it being a performance enhancing drug. 
All right. So weed or marijuana is not a performing enhancing drug. Okay. Unlike it's not a stimulant, right? As we all know, it's not an anabolic steroid. It's not human growth hormone or anything. So it doesn't perform or it's not going to enhance your performance. Honestly, as we're talking about, as we're talking about the historic, as we're talking about just straight weed, right? Not K2, not spice, not any of those other different things. Usually like weed or marijuana, like it actually kind of has deficits in coordination, right? So a lot of times when you smoke weed, you're more relaxed, right? It's a downer. So honestly, if you're talking about smoking weed or marijuana, it can actually do more to worsen her performance. So if we're looking at it from that standpoint, the way she like, blew everybody else away on the track despite having that in their system is like even more amazing but again that's just kind of saying that like it's not a performance enhancing situation now if you want to talk about the health aspect of it yeah you know what any type of heavy marijuana use especially in young people like we're talking about given her age group right any type of heavy usage you know, there's an associated risk, especially with mental health issues like psychosis and other different things. So I don't know her history. I don't know. You know, I can't diagnose her or anything. But, you know, I imagine maybe that's what they're referring to if they're saying, you know, she's in violation because the substance is a risk to her health. All right. To the athlete. So, all right. Can satisfy on that part. Right. So there's there's one of the three criteria. Now, the spirit of the sport thing. Right. That's the one that got me. So I'm trying to figure out, Okay, how it's unlikely that she violated the spirit of the sport in which, you know, this substance usually again, I don't know her usage. It doesn't really cause any harm because it's done recreationally. Right. A lot of states have been able to pass the law that it can be used recreationally or infrequently. Right. As long as it's in the safety of that, that adult's privacy and what's in their home. Right. It doesn't satisfy that. What I find out is that, or I kind of find it odd, is that you can, there's a strong argument that you could say weed or cannabis is no more meets the agency that it could be harmful than another um, substance that's completely legal and people don't have an issue with. We, do we all know what, what substance we're talking about? That people oh, are free oh to yeah. consume? Alcohol, oh right? Yeah. So you right. can drink as much, again, you can drink as much as you want before her track beat, right? right? And that's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's cool. She can go in, right? She can get That's lit. America's great. That right. ain't she can yeah. They, they in fact they're they're advertising that on the during the commercials, right? right. You see the cores and all that other stuff, right? Wow, so sponsors. yo, she can come in lit, right? <laughs> and she's cool. So that's why I, I kind of feel like these rules are antiquated. And again, that doesn't that doesn't violate the spirit of the sport where you're allowing people to come in. They can drink as much as they want to. But then they, you know, they, if they smoke weed in a state that's legal for recreational use. You see what I mean? Now, I'm not again, I'm not sidestepping her. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, she she knew what she did, as she mentioned. She knew that she's a track, you know, her her set of rules are different. She can't be like her family members or friends that aren't running because she has, you know, she knows that they test for this. So yeah, absolutely. She made a poor decision. What I'm saying is that these rules kind of appear that they need to be adjusted. Right. So if we're looking at it, there needs to be some type of reform, right? If we're talking about, you know, including athlete, like, and I'm not going to sit here and say, again, I don't know her, her history. I'm not going to sit here and diagnose her with like cannabis use disorder or anything because, but if this were to be the case, right, let's use this as an extreme situation and say that she did have 
cannabis use disorder. Even as clinicians, you guys know that weed would deal or treat this completely differently anyway, right? So we talk about if someone's struggling with a substance use, you know, a suspension amounts to a punishment. Right. Which is commonly ineffective with anyone that you're trying to manage an addiction. Right. If you give them a punishment or or a suspension, that's going to be it's going to be counterintuitive to the treatment that you're providing. Right. Usually someone that has an addiction, we approach them in a very engaging. Right. Or supportive manner. And then we allow that person. Okay, we give them, you know, as long as it's safe, we allow them to give them a psychoeducation, X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. And then we still allow that person, we're talking about cannabis use disorder, we still allow that person to compete because that approach is more compassionate, right? It's more of a situation where it's more likely to support that person's mental health and accelerate the recovery as opposed to if we take it away from them, then they're going to have an adverse reaction. I just feel like there needs to be some form of a reform. And if we're looking like the whole national sentiment on marijuana is changing anyway, right? You got about 19 states that have legalized this drug. So at what point in time are the states that have legalized? And it seems like this is becoming more, this is a wave that's going to be happening where eventually all 50 states are going to be legal at some point in time, right? So at what point in time does the USDA anti-doping agency catch up to that to the point where now it's not you know counterintuitive where you're saying well you can do this it's legal in your state to do so privately safely in your own home but when you step on our stage no those aren't your rules so i feel like you know we're causing it, it like you're punishing athletes for something that's legal in their area right and they're doing it safely if it's not an issue so that's why i just feel like you know i'm not on the racism you know rule train but i am on the train where i feel like at some point in time these this particular rule especially with the spirit of the sport and all those different things like this needs to be updated because it's like you said it was made 50 years ago just because it was good 50 years ago doesn't mean it's good right now it needs to be adjusted Mm -hmm. especially kind of given the modern advances that we've made in technology and medicine and just the investment we've made in a more of a modern culture so that's my rant. Tip your waitress on the way out. That's all I got. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. I mean, I, I agree. Everything you said. I mean, you know, like to, to where when does it get to the point to where it's like alcohol? Because after the Olympics, can they go they can go drink celebratory and take a shot? Would that be on the cover of a magazine? Like, oh, look at so-and-so taking a shot of alcohol. They can drink during it, right? The the stories that I've read about from, like, the Olympic Village, yo, these these folks, they're getting lit. They're getting plastered, right? Yo, like, during the games, like, in between competing, like, they're they're going out and they're in the village. They're having a great time. So this is the thing, right? I agree with you. It's antiquated, outdated, unnecessary, should it be changed? Yes. Do I think it will be changed? I'm not confident because, listen, there's, there's examples every day in the world, right? It's not equal. The standards aren't the same, right? Even in the states where they've legalized marijuana, there's still jobs where you can't smoke marijuana or you're going to be fired. If you work at a hospital, you still can't have cannabis in your bloodstream. If you work certain heavy machinery jobs, you still can't you still can't have cannabis in your bloodstream. Certain certain professions where you carry a weapon or you're in a certain position of authority, you can't, right? Now, those same people 
do they regulate their alcohol use? No, right? And the and only reason why I say this, bring it up as an example, is we've been talking about it in NBA and the NFL for years, right? About what people do in everyday, quote unquote, life. And why can't the NFL and NBA players do it? Why I can't? Because they ain't regular people. And, it, and it's, it's not fair. You know, it's not right. But you know, like these governing bodies of these organizations, the IOC, whatever you want to call it, NBA, NFL, they're going to move very different, right? Because the NFL is looking at the perception of those players that wear that shield. The same way the hospital is looking at the perception of their doctors in white coats. You know, and, and perception is reality. So it's easier for people to understand someone having a glass of whiskey after work than someone smoking a J during lunch out the window of their car. It's just they people aren't there yet. Right. So until perception catches up with reality, you're going to have people moving at a very slow pace. Joe Biden is the president of this country. And a year ago, you couldn't say you couldn't get him to say he supported marijuana. He was very slow. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's not completely accurate in terms of the timetable. But what I'm saying is on the on the trail, like and in the primaries, he was sidestepping because he didn't know exactly what the perception was in the country in terms of how it broke down. And that's what I mean. Like your larger organizations, your more conservative organizations, they're going to be slow to move on. it, And they will be until they're able to find some way to monetize it. Right. Well, that's, I mean, you know, listen, you know, that's, that's, that, I mean, that, that's a fact, but it goes along with everything else I just said, right? If we're looking for equality, we're never going to find it. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's just not equal. They're going to, there's always going to be different standards, you know, in my opinion, for like different jobs and different positions. Yeah. I don't think it's fair, but, um, I don't think it's going nowhere, especially when you talk about like the Olympic athletes. I think they're going to be who you think is going to be first to take like marijuana off like one of those lists. Like, do you think it'll be like baseball, basketball, those sports or like the Olympics? Um, I'm going to be leaning more towards basketball, probably basketball. That's what I lean because what, I think with the think, Olympics, it, it, would, it would need a with the Olympics. You're going to need the other nations to get involved. And I feel like that's that's the issue where, you know, you're the culture, all these other different considerations and factors are going to be including you. You may have, you know, certain countries that are like, nope, not going to do it. And then you have some that are like, all right, look, man, we do it anyway. But I think it's just too many different differences of cultures and aspects and historical factors to consider. Or at least with the NFL or the NBA, probably more the NBA first because they seem to be a little bit more liberal, a little bit more, more yeah. progressive. That I, yeah. I could see them. Okay, we're just gonna we'll we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a try because athletes have more power in the NBA. That's what I was gonna say. And then the NBA also, when you look at the the power of like how the NBA views the power of the athlete, you know, it's it, it seems to be more agreeable when they take a stand like the whole nba like they had the the uh jerseys the floor had black lives matter like when they take a stance i mean you tend to see it like it's not just one player it's it's the team it's the organization 
Right. Um, and you know, whereas with football, you might see more of not every. It's not universal, but it seems to be like very more universal with uh, basketball. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's a um, it's an interesting point, man. I just think um, I think the Olympics gonna be last, man, unless they oh, make yeah. smoking weed an Olympic sport. You know. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, we'll we'll see. It's something to monitor. Like I said, I hope um, because she's she's an incredibly gifted athlete. Um, you know, again, just seeing her run, like she's she's like she's it, like she's totally it. So I hope it's the it's a suspension for a month. Hopefully, she's able to do the four by one, and we'll see about the open one. But something to continue to monitor. But um, Oh, we didn't even talk about the racial micro- microaggression she's been experiencing, but that's another topic for another day. Oh, episode. man. Yeah, yeah nothing. That, that's in it. Absolutely. That's you know? a part of it. Totally. You so, know? but again, right, and just to circle around, this is why I think, this is why, like, and I don't mind speaking out of both sides of my mouth, right, because I'm, I'm a black man. Like, I don't wear this as a uniform. This is what makes us defend our people so hard, right? Sometimes when we shouldn't be defending them, right? Because she smokes weed, makes a mistake, and then you have some grown woman who's probably two or three times her age, right, on Instagram talking about her hair and her nails, right, in a disparaging manner, right? Um, so this is why, again, sometimes, I ain't gonna lie, me included, we jump out the window and say, not, not this time, right? So, again, I could excuse people standing up for her you know, uh, that's way different than the Bill Cosby thing, you know, but I'm just drawing a connection in terms of, you know, we have cultural triggers. You understand what I'm saying? And when I saw that on Instagram, like I was angry, Mm -hmm. you understand? And at that particular point, I didn't care what she did. You understand? I I, I didn't care what she did, you know? Um, And I think a lot of people, you know, have that sentiment when it comes to quote unquote, protecting, you know, black people in positions of power. But I just think, for lack of a better term, like we play ourselves when we use that emotional capital on the wrong people. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, the instinct kicks in, but we, we, I think overall, just as the people have to kind of take that breath. Once we get over that initial reaction, that protective reaction, right, of like, oh, they're trying to do enough. It's like, okay, let's let's get some information. All right, let's see what right. took place. Because you can still support it. Like you said, like even though, again, she took responsibility for it. And when you know, when you violate a rule, there are consequences, right? Suspensions and things that follow. And you can still support her. So I'm, you know, hoping and praying that uh, she's able to compete because she's an amazing athlete, amazing woman. And um, I think she would be a great representation and a great, you know, model, um, you know, on the field of, of bringing home that gold. So but we'll see. Yeah. Um, so anything before we get out of here to my two favorite people, Ashley, anything you want to throw out there? You want to promote? You want to tell the people what you want to do? Well, I just want to tell them about the great work y'all are doing. Like I said, my sorrows are looking forward to when this is going to be put out. Um, definitely addressing topics that are important for all cultures. Um, so I just want to say thank you guys again 
uh, really excited about next steps with, you know, when I'm going to be back on again. You know, I'm always looking forward Yo, to that. <laughs> the next time, I, we was going to talk about this off the air, but you know, next time we're going to do it live, you know? Oh. We're gonna, we'll do it live. That's your, right, your yeah. idea. Sure so I, know do it live. I can, you know, get my, you know, I need to be looking like a bag of money, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be great because that's what they were asking could they watch it live but no I just want to say I appreciate everything I think we're at maybe still 3% of black psychologists making up you know the demographic for all psychologists so, wow. being, so we need to be visible we need to be present we need to be doing our work in our respective fields but whenever we can come and make something that you know the masses can listen to I'm always there for you know, in here for it. So I just want to thank y'all for the platform and appreciate the healthy discussion on all these topics. One thing I do know that uh, people want to get into and talk about all the time are relationships. So. Oh, listen, man, it just happened to be that we had these more pressing current events taking place, but I I got a couple ones that I, a couple relationship oriented topics, you know, I'm not going to say what, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm only going to say one thing. I'm going to say one word. Only fans. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're, we're going to get into that. So Ashley, absolutely. Like you said, we'll talk off air. Um, Cause we, we got to have you back on. You're always welcome. Anytime your schedule permits. So, um, but Dr. Poole, like we, we love having you. We appreciate you making time in your schedule. Cause we know you got a lot of different ventures going on and taking the time to hang out with us. We, we definitely appreciate it. Um, I was just—I just wanted to say that too, um, Ashley. You already know what you mean to the platform, um, and we definitely appreciate you and your time, um, the expertise you bring. And I always—I you know, don't always tell you this, and I shouldn't <laughs> tell you now, but I o- always learn a little something talking to you. Of course, you know. Um, all kidding, all kidding aside, you know. Um, and you know, uh, we of course we're all on the same level here, but we're extremely proud of what you're doing too, as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, we're going to start planning the next the next uh, meeting. That's right. ASAP. So we appreciate everybody listening and watching. Continue to watch, subscribe, subscribe, listen. Again, we're on all the platforms that you can find your podcast on. We're on YouTube. And um, yeah, that that's all I got. We appreciate you guys being here and support. Continue to comment. Continue to send questions and comments to uh, the email, the Black Psychologist Podcast at gmail.com. You know, we love interacting with people. We love hearing your feedback. We love the comments. So keep them coming so, you know, we can answer those questions. We love the interactive aspect of all of this, guys. So appreciate everybody being here. Dr. Poole, Dr. Coleman. Later. See you next time. All right. All right.